0: Welcome, everyone. This is the Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast titled Professor Coates Views on Legislative Proposals Relating to Corporate Governance. I'm Jeff Mahoney, the General Counsel of CII. As the title indicates, my guest today is Professor John C. Coates, the fourth professor of law and economics at Harvard Law School. Welcome, Professor Coates. I'm going to ask you three questions about proposed corporate governance legislation recently discussed at a June hearing of the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs in which you testified. Let's get started. Question number one. Professor, most of the discussion at the June Senate Banking Committee hearing centered on H.R. 4015, a bill to regulate proxy advisory firms. CII strongly opposes the bill because we believe it's likely to increase costs for proxy advisory firms with no clear benefits to institutional investors, CII members, who are the primary customer of proxy advisory firm research. Is CII wrong to oppose this bill? What's your view on H.R. 4015? I don't think
1: that CIA is wrong. I think they're right to oppose this bill. It, as you noted, a House bill, and perhaps reflective of the differences in the two chambers. It's, unlike the, many of the other bills that were considered at the same hearing, I think significantly underthought. Let's put it that way. There's a lot in it. It imposes a significant number of new restrictions and burdens on proxy advisors, and in many ways goes much farther than the regulatory requirements for any other of the kinds of entities that the SEC supervises. A close analogy would be credit rating agencies, and they don't have to live up to nearly the same level of requirements imposed in this bill. The best part of the bill, if if there is a piece of it that's worth thinking hard about, has to do with disclosures of conflicts of interest that the proxy advisors do potentially face, given their business models and ownership. But the disclosure of conflicts can be taken care of much more readily when there's only a few advisors, and many of them already make disclosures about their conflicts through contractual negotiations. Maybe there's a role there for the SEC to make sure that those disclosures are accurate and complete. But the breadth of the bill, which would require registration and inspections and uh, actually purport to involve the SEC in regulating the content of the advice being given, would regulate the process by which the proxy advisors communicate with companies. goes much farther than I think would be useful.
0: Question number two. Another bill discussed at the TUNE hearing was S-536, a bill that requires publicly traded companies to disclose whether a cybersecurity expert is on their board of directors, and if not, why one is not necessary. CII has expressed public support for the stated goal of the bill to, quote, promote transparency in the oversight of cybersecurity risks at publicly traded companies, unquote. Professor, some have criticized this bill as creating a a slippery slope when it comes to board composition by effectively encouraging all public companies to include a cybersecurity expert on their board. Is that a valid criticism of the bill, in your opinion, and what's your view on S-536?
1: I'm a supporter of this bill. I think this one was fairly carefully thought through. It's modest in what it requires. It really is the lightest of touches in terms of what it would require. Uh, You've basically summarized the entire content of the bill. It's pretty simple and straightforward. I don't think it's a slippery slope. Cyber risk is different from any other kind of risk that is currently facing our public securities markets with the exception of just basic financial risk. And we already have a requirement that companies disclose if they have financial experts on our audit committee, and if not, why not? This would be similar. If you think about cyber risk, and you think about the way today we all do business, I can't think of a company that does not have a material exposure to cyber risk if only because its employees use telephones that are networked to the world in various ways, or email or social media, which we've all learned can create cyber risk. And so unlike, say, environmental risk or risks related to labor conditions, which may affect some companies but not others, this is a risk which I think is universal and I think is universally agreed to be underappreciated, uh, maybe rapidly getting better appreciated, but there's still a significant number of boards of directors out there, I think, that could use the very gentle nudge of this disclosure requirement to engage directly in thinking about whether they need cyber risk experts on their board. Again, it doesn't mandate that they have one, and they would be perfectly entitled to say we don't have one because we have a very good you know, person in the C-suite, or we have very good consultants, or whatever the explanation is. But at least it would force an annual engagement by the board into whether or not the company and the board have adequate cyber resources.
0: Final question. Professor, if you were the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, what legislation, if any, would you pursue to improve corporate governance at U.S. public companies? I think
1: that one of the biggest so far not yet grappled with changes in our securities markets That affects corporate governance is the rise of passive uh, indexed investing, a a rise that's been pretty continuous for the last 30 years, but remarkably increased over the last 10 and shows no sign of tailing off. I don't think it's bad, to be clear. I think that passive investing, I I do it myself. It's a very good alternative for investors who are looking for low-cost ways to invest in a diversified portfolio. But the result of its low but increasingly rapid penetration uh, among investors generally is that, you know, a very small number of funds or fund complexes are pretty soon going to be controlling between the three of them or four of them or five of them, 20, 25, 30, 40% of all of the stock of all of the public companies uh, available in the markets. And I don't think there's an easy response to that trend so I don't have any simple recommendation to the chairman uh, if I were giving him advice. But I do think it's worth having hearings and focus and uh, some attention to whether or not the current disclosure regimes in place and diversification regimes in place are adequate to uh, the shift towards uh, more and more passive investing over time. Just to give a quick example, the funds – directly regulated by the Investment Company Act, mutual funds, for example, or ETFs, have diversification requirements imposed on them, both directly and through tax law. There's not the equivalent at the complex level, at the advisory level. And so, to the extent that one advisor is able to control or influence many companies through a variety of different funds, there is really nothing in place now to prevent that one advisor from accumulating Um, again, 20 25% stakes. And if trends continue, that's where we're headed for the passive investors. So that would be my one top of the mind suggestion for attention. It's the biggest shift I think going on in the markets over the past 10 or 15 years. On behalf of
0: the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Coates, for taking the time to speak with us today. If you have any questions or comments regarding Professor Coates' remarks or this podcast generally, please contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening and have a great day.